Welcome to New York's Finest, Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to explore the life and experiences of those who at one time held a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth, policing the streets of New York City. This show hosts a wide variety of guests from all walks of life and professions, but remains centered around introducing retired members of the NYPD to our audience while having real unfiltered discussions. Please tune in each week and like and subscribe to hear true crime stories and opinions on past and present events like you've never heard them before. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I got a, one of my good buddies with me today, Vincenzo Lombardo. Vincenzo was a 14-year police officer. He was injured in the line of duty. Um, he sustained a, a disabling injury with his shoulder. Um, he's out on three-quarter injuries. Um, I speak to him often. We talk about politics. We talk about a lot of stuff just like we did in patrol cars and unmarked cars in lounges, on breaks, and most often when I would take his money every other Sunday when he would come over to my house to play poker, you know. Uh, so, you know, I want to welcome everybody to the show. Uh, it's Vincenzo Lombardo. I call him Enzo. We call him Chenzi. We call him a bunch of other names. He's got every nickname in the book. But, uh, Enz, welcome to the show. I thank you for coming on, my brother. Uh, and if you could just bring us up to speed a little bit, you know, how you started, where you came from, how you grew up. Uh, thanks for having me, John. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, aside from uh, everything going on, I uh, I started out um, born and raised in Staten Island. Uh, my parents are from uh, Italy, so I'm first generation American Italian. Um, I was born in Staten Island, St. Vincent's Hospital. Uh, my mom was born in Bari, Italy, and my father was born in uh, uh, Palermo, Sicily. And uh, they came here when they were very young. They had uh, three kids, my older brother, Stefano, and my uh, young, youngest sister, Angela. Um, grew up pretty much in Staten Island and, and the Brooklyn area my whole life. Uh, my grandparents, when they moved here from Italy, uh, on my father's side, they, they lived in Brooklyn for a while. And then they ended up moving like a, a few blocks away from my parents' house, which is now in the uh, Castleton Corners area of Staten Island. Um, I had a great childhood. I was all about family growing up. Um, a lot of, uh, my success growing up and the, the fact that I have a great family today, my loving wife, Elizabeth and my son, Vincenzo and, uh, family dog, Loki, and, uh, we're doing great. Everything's, you know, doing well. It's a lot less stress now that I'm not working on the, in the job, but, uh, all the success I had basically came from, you know, just that good upbringing with my family, uh, my friends over the years and the people I got to meet. Uh, both who are currently on the job now and retired, long retired from the job, uh, that kind of molded me into, uh, you know, and, and guided me as I pursued that career, you know, going forward. So, uh, you know, I, I, I could write a book on how many people I could thank on, you know, on how, where I got today. And it's, it just, I feel like I wouldn't have enough pages because everybody was so instrumental in, in, uh, how I came about with everything and, you know, I got to meet great guys. I got to meet you. You know, I got to take your money too. And, uh, you know, it was great. So we had a good run uh, with the police department. Um, uh, you know, I just, I have to say that, uh, you know, I had a, a great 
childhood growing up and I'm just happy to be able to share my experience the way other people have. And, you know, and just, uh, again, thank you for having me and, uh, Oh yeah, no, it's a pleasure. So. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure, you know? Um, but, uh, so, you know, you're middle class, you, you grew up in Staten Island, you're, you're, you're a child of immigrants, right? You're, you're, you guys are first generation American mm-hmm. here. What made you want to become a cop? So, uh, both of my parents, they came here with pretty much nothing. My father got into the restaurant business. Um, my mom was uh, the youngest out of all of her siblings. She's one of eight. So she had a lot of brothers and sisters. Um, so uh, she ended up working in an office job in the city when she was very young before she had kids and everything. But then she stopped working when uh, she met my father and got married. And, you know, she took care of the kids. She pretty much was the stay at home mom. And dad was in the restaurant business for over 30 years. Uh, he owned a Lisa's Pizza in Manhattan. He ended up uh, ended up uh, coming to Staten Island. He had a Pizza Kingdom, which is now called King Cafe out in Eltingville. Uh, he had that for a while. He sold that. He bought a place in Jersey. He had that for a few years. And then uh, he decided to purchase a place upstate New York. He had that for a few years. And then eventually my father hung his hat up for the uh, restaurant business. And now he just delivers produce. So been pretty much, I grew up in a middle class middle-class family, you know, my whole life. Um, I'm grateful for everything my parents gave me, you know, they have, you know, they paid off their house. They, they worked, they grinded and, you know, did everything they could to make sure that each of their kids grew up, uh, you know, with good education and good heads on their shoulders. You know, we got, we got smacked around when we needed to, and uh, probably me the most. And uh, I'm not going to say I didn't deserve it because I probably, (laughs) but uh, you know, that's the way it was. That's the way our parents were brought up and, you know, you just, you look at them and no matter how much you try, you can never measure up to your parents, especially when they're the ones that guided you and molded you into the person you are today. So I'm happy for them. I'm grateful for my, my, my parents. I'm grateful that I got to meet all the people I got to meet along the years. And, you know, again, you know, um, uh, my motivation for, uh, you know, for taking the job, basically my, my late, uh, godmother, um, Jacqueline Lombardo. She, uh, she passed away a few years back. Um, she was a, a retired police officer. She worked, I think she did about 17 or 16 years. Uh, she was on the job and believe it or not, she, uh, she actually got out with three quarters too. Uh, she got hurt pretty bad. And, uh, but she passed away from breast cancer. So I always, you know, felt like drawn to the job because my father got to meet a lot of police officers when he was in the restaurant business. A lot of a lot of cops went to, went there to eat. A lot of uh, task force parties were held there from Staten Island Task Force and his place at the, in Eltingville. So I got to meet a lot of cops growing up. I felt like I knew more cops growing up than I did like regular friends. You know what I mean? Because I was always around my father and my family, and it was it was it was a great time. We always had a good time when they you know when they came by, and my father grew really close to a lot of them. And to me, they're like my extended family, like my my uncles. You know what I mean? You know some of these guys now retired for 10 plus years and you know they were my inspiration you know I always wanted to do two things in life uh, professionally I wanted to be in the air force and I wanted to be a cop afterwards the air force thing didn't pan out because you know I didn't keep up with my schoolwork and uh you know and then I you know just like every person growing up you know you hit a bumpy road here and there but then I realized you know time to grow up time to you know do what you got to do and at that point I realized you know uh I I wasn't going to let my second dream passed me by. So that's what I ended up doing. And I got into the job and that's how I ended up meeting you and 
great other bunch of guys that we worked with over the years. So I'm very grateful for that. And I, I can't say that I have any regrets on that. What, uh, what do you, what, like, what's the biggest takeaway? Like you're a young kid, you, you, you know, you take the job pretty young, you come on, like, what's your biggest takeaway about the job? Like when you're walking in as a young rookie, like, what do you, what do you think you were thinking at that time? Like, where were you? Like, you just get out of the Academy, you go to the, I believe you went to the seven L if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, seven L precinct. It's a uh, East Flatbush, right? East Flatbush. Yeah. Um, uh, and, um, so you're in the seven L precinct, it's a busy house. What are your thoughts at that time as a, as a rookie cop, like stepping in? I know you, you know, cops, right. You know, cops, yeah. but you were not, you weren't a cop, right. You were, you were a punk kid. Yeah. And now, you know, you <laughs> yeah, played sports, you had some team like based uh thing, right. You played football when you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think like was your mindset going in? Like you're, you're a rookie cop, you walk in a seven old precinct your first day. Like what, what, what is that? So uh, when I, I mean, when I joined the police department, yeah, I, I knew a lot of guys. I didn't, you know, guys could say, oh, yeah, no, I knew this guy, I knew that guy. I wanted to make my own mark uh, on my career. I didn't want people to think that, you know, that I was taking the easy route or calling a hook, as some people might say. I didn't want I didn't want any favors. Um, and despite being told that I could, uh, hey, I can go anywhere I want, I didn't care. I said, let me, leave me alone. I wanted to do my own thing. And yeah, exactly. I mean, you're 100% right. Uh, growing up, uh, I played baseball, I played football in high school. So like that whole team mentality I was used to. Um, uh, as far as the job, yeah, I didn't, as far as coming out of the academy, like every rookie that comes out of the academy, you don't know a damn thing. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You don't know anything until you're actually in the precinct, dealing with guys and working with guys that have been around, whether it's a mentor that's got five to 10 years on, or a senior guy that has 15 plus or 20 plus, uh, those are the guys you learn from. And you only learn so much in the academy. Whereas when you're actually going out there and going to a post, which everything was foot post pretty much, you know, and seeing the environment, what you're dealing with, it, it's two worlds. You know what I mean? East Flatbush is obviously a tough area to grow up now for people. And, um, you know, I mean, for the most part, you know, there were good people over there that, that wanted us there, but you know, we were there for a reason because there was a few people that didn't want us there. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm human. So at some point, yeah, did I think, hey, what the hell am I doing out here? Yeah, to a degree, you know, especially the fact that when I came out, it was the summer and my first day on patrol was 102 degrees and you're wearing all that equipment. And I'm not a small guy. So, you know, heavy set guy, all that equipment, 102 degree weather doesn't mix well, unfortunately. But um, but I did it. You know, I had, you know, I, I had learned a lot. I made a lot of good friends in the 7-0. Uh, a lot of guys that uh, that uh, I hear that's still on the job. Some guys got promoted and they're doing well for themselves. And I'm always happy to hear it. Um, it was tough, but it was it was a learning experience that I cherish because it, 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 it gave me perspective. You know, there's a lot of a lot of people, you know, especially that you mentioned earlier, the politics that, you know, they uh, they think they know everything or they come off with that kind of attitude. You really don't until you see both sides of the coin. You know what I mean? And that is what I believe, especially coming out in the 7-0, uh, I believe that's where I got that that perspective. You know, I've seen how different my, upbring- my upbringing was compared to what people were, you know, dealing with on a daily basis out there. And, and same thing with working, you know what I mean? With the guys that I worked with, there were a lot of guys confused, some might have been scared, you know, 
Uh, some might have been intimidated. I knew I couldn't let that get to me if I was going to be successful. So thankfully, I had the right guidance. I had the right motivation, people helping me out along the way in terms of, you know, what to say and what to expect. And it, it panned out very well. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's where I was, too. I walked in. I didn't know a damn thing. You know, I was, you know, I was a tough kid. Like, I was a street kid. So, like, I didn't, I wasn't really scared of anyone. I wasn't scared of people on the street. I wasn't scared of the older cops. Uh, but I knew I didn't know anything. Like, I didn't know how to, like, uh, I didn't know how to, like, actually enforce the law. And I didn't even know law. You know, I'm going to even go back to that. Like, I didn't even know the law that well. I learned the law really on my own, and I learned it through older cops and my peers. Like, you know, even some younger guys, like guys, you know, like guys that, that we worked with that was super active. You know, they were, they like, they understood how to, what laws we needed to do. But that took me a while. It took me like two years. Like, I really want to say before I really felt like, completely comfortable being a cop i was comfortable wearing a uniform and going out on the street like a few months in i want to say like two months in just because the rate of jobs in new york city is tremendous you know even though you're on a foot post and impact i mean the jobs that are coming over are like they're crazy you know you're seeing people shot you're seeing people stabbed you're going to domestic incidents you're going to edps you're going to drug use i mean and at, and at that time we were a proactive department right so it wasn't like you were just going to sit around, see these things and not make arrests. No, you were going to get involved. And like, you didn't, you know, and, and, you know, we, we, we came in under that broken windows mentality of policing where we're going to go after minor crime. So yeah, no, I mean, it, it is a weird time becoming a cop, like be going from like a kid to doing that, but it does, it, it opens your eyes. It gives you a more worldly view. I was always an open-minded kid. I was a street kid. I knew it went on in different neighborhoods. I knew that some of my friends, didn't have the same um, upbringing that I did, weren't as privileged enough to have a father and a mother who loved them. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. And I like I knew that, but I didn't understand cause and effect at that point. And I didn't understand policies and I didn't understand police work and the overall workings of a city and how politics affect those policies and how that could transition to affect crime, quality of life, and all those other things. Like the police department really opened my eyes. And I always say, I think that we have such a, a, a worldly view. Like we, we see the world a lot different than other people. And not because we're disgruntled and not because we're jaded because of all the bad things we've seen. Right. Because we go home and most of us have are, are blessed enough to have loving families. You know, we all have tragedy in our life and all that stuff. But but seeing that as a young guy and understanding to learn it and understanding you're human, that really, you know, that, that's it. That's a big that that's it's huge. So. So you're there. Like, what's your aspirations at that point? Like, what are you thinking you want to do? Like, you get in, you're starting to become to your own and in, in police work. Like, what's your aspirations? Do you want to go to the boss route? Do you want to go to the detective route? You know, like when I walked in, I saw the anti-crime guys. I was like, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Like, what 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 was yours? So I I've I saw how you know, going through the job, you know, you have different bosses, you have guys that probably went that route with the whole anti-crime conditions the active route is what i'd like to call it guys that got down and dirty when they needed to and you know and they were there for each other they were the ones who backed each other up and then they wanted to further their careers and become bosses those is what what 
I'm sure you've heard the term. Uh, that's a cop's boss. You know what I mean? Guys that look, a boss that looked out for his guys. I, I aspired to both both routes per, uh, considerably. Um, I wanted to be a boss. I didn't study hard enough, unfortunately, but um, there were a lot of guys that were my bosses that, uh, that I really looked up to on this job. You know I mean? Guys that you and I worked with, you know what I mean? And these guys, they knew, um, they knew the job. They knew, uh, they, they just, they gave you that perspective on the job to, in a, a, in a sen uh, sense, see things that, you know, that you could pick out right away. Or, you know, like uh, you can do your own kind of investigative work just by knowing things that, that these guys taught you, for example. Um, I, I coming in and, you know, going from the 7-0, you know, it was a big change for me going from the 7-0. I ended up going to the one two three, and that's where I met you, uh, thankfully. Um, but it was a big change. You know, the, the volume of jobs wasn't there, but the variety was there. And I, and because it was a calmer precinct at the time, now I hear it's super busy. I don't know how, you know, accurate that is, but I got to see not just, you know, the perspective of, you know, like you said, you know, good family growing up with both the, uh, parents in their house. And, uh, but I got to see some people that had problems, you know, but at a more slower controlled pace. And I got to learn, I think I learned better seeing those different things rather than the rapid fire uh, stuff that you kind of dealt with in a, in a more busier house. So but with, with that, um, I mean, I, I, I ended up uh, doing the conditions route. I ended up getting into conditions and then I, uh, I worked with you. And, and, and what's, uh, what's precinct conditions. I don't want to cut uh, you off, but like, oh. just, 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 uh, just describe it for everybody. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. it doesn't exist anymore. No, <laughs> we, don't, we don't want, we don't, we don't want to clean up quality of life issues and do any of that. So if you could yeah, just it's... describe what you used to do in the conditions unit, like, sure. absolutely. Um, yeah. um, so basically, uh, so you got to keep in mind, uh, condition is basically dealing with certain elements that are, uh, you know, present in the community in which you're free policing. So, um, the community that we policed in, uh, in the one, two, three, for example, is a more upper class neighborhood. Um, a lot of, uh, residential, uh, areas, um, a few commercial areas and a lot of, uh, wooded and beach areas. So a lot of conditions, for example, um, the, for people who don't know is conditions where, uh, there were parties being held at certain locations, loud parties that were being held in, uh, you know, in a location where there was close to a residential home and it was a group of, of you know, teens, you know, late in their late teens, getting together, doing things they're not supposed to be doing, you know, doing drugs, drinking and God knows what else and uh, being loud. And, and a lot of people, you know, and this is happening during the week, mainly in the summer when kids are all off from school. And that was considered what, you know, that is what uh, a condition was. And that was something more common. Same thing with like uh, bars and whatnot, where bars get, tend to get certain bars that specifically got rowdy. And the, the residential uh, people that, uh, people that lived in the residence that were nearby to these rowdy bars would call and complain about the noise, call and complain about the fights. These were conditions that were very common during the week. And on weekends, like on like during the school years, it was more on the weekends, and then uh, during the school season, excuse me, um, it was more common uh, on the weekends, and then when school was out, it was almost every other day, you know, that something was going on, and you know, and not only that, you had people, you know, doing drugs, and you know, a lot of times it was smoking marijuana, you know, in, in public, which used to be uh, prosecutable. Uh, now I think you just get slapped with a ticket or 
they call some kind of social worker to deal with it. I don't even know what the policy is now. It's, 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 it, 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 I mean, if I was to be a cop now, I would have to be retrained and everything. And I've only been out for not even three years. No, you wouldn't. So, you wouldn't have to be retrained. It, it, it would be just go out there, drive around and watch yeah. everyone do all yeah. these things. Oh, and do you know, nothing. Yeah. You know, like when, when, so basically what you're saying is, you know, recent conditions was, it was either at that point, it was still either plain clothes or uniformed. You would right. drive around on more cars. You would go after quality of life issues that the community told us about, right? Uh, like, yes. Big shout out Joe Padula. Big shout out to Andre Tetterich, Pete Pascalone. These guys would have to go to community council meeting hearings. They were sergeants in the precinct. They oh, yeah. would let us know what the community is complaining about. The community is telling this, that, you know, kids are drinking in the park. Kids are smoking weed. Kids are having sex in the park. Kids are <laughs> shooting up in the park. Kids are dealing yeah. pills. Kids are doing all these things which stemmed into other crimes, burglaries, car break-ins, robberies, all of these other things, and you would go address those issues. And to me, that was community policing. You know, I, yeah. I did conditions for a short while, and I, and I went to crime, but that was the, that's the active route you're talking about. That yeah. was truly community policing. Then when Bratton comes in under uh, – under Warren Wilhelm, a.k.a. Bill de Blasio, a.k.a. Dickhead, fucking when he comes in, he, he institutes this new thing of community policing. And, and it's basically hands off. We go away from addressing quality of life issues like that, loitering, uh, peeing, defecating, all these things in the street. And that's why you see New York is quality of life has diminished because they got rid of that specific unit. That was community policing. That was listening to the community and doing what they're asking. Hey, listen, this illegal activity is going on. So I always said when community policing goes on, like, what do you do when you show up at a community council now that this is gone? How do I address that? How do I address those issues as a priest and CO when I go there or a sergeant and, and they're like, oh, yeah, the kids are drinking and smoking weed in the park. Oh, it's legal. I, oh, we don't do anything for that. Yeah. If I may, uh, what what I wanted to say with that is what I what I personally, um, I guess I can't fathom what their frame of mind was, but I feel like with uh, douchebag De Blasio, for example, um, it wasn't just. I mean, I mean, obviously, it completely degraded the quality of life around every borough in new york uh in stat in uh the city it's not just you know Staten island it's everywhere and Absolutely. these guys these guys you know that uh that instituted these policies you know they don't realize that when you stop kid from smoking weed or shooting up in a park or leaving needles that like, god forbid a kid walks by and touches not realizing not, not you know without the attention of their parent you know if their parent looks away or is trying to open the car door and their kid picks up a sharp needle the kid gets stuck with something god knows what he can get from that it's it's disgusting and you know these policies that we enforce you know in the conditions and i feel like you know they obviously they worked but now i feel like the whole rollback of getting rid of conditions the, the whole concept of getting rid of plain clothes and conditions and all these units it all ha it all stems with that defund the police movement you know it, it all came from from that because you know they're not putting money into the training of these condition cops which you know was also important you know because these cops knew how to go out there they knew how to approach these situations how to deal with 
the people that were in violation of these uh, quality of life issues. And, you know, because they decriminalized all these issues for the most part, they have, I mean, I don't get me wrong, there's no need to have a conditions unit if you're not going to prosecute these people for doing it. But there's no question that having a conditions unit and having these violations prosecuted worked. So you're going to see, unfortunately, and you and I have talked about this, you know, uh, off the air, so to speak, there's, there's no, how do you say it, uh, goal within new, the state of New York to look forward to in terms of getting a better, a better house, right? There's no point in staying here because of policies like that. And yeah, people might be happy here, but a lot of those happy people are oblivious to what's going on and how the communities are slowly and then starting to get more rapidly decaying as a result of these policies. Because not only do we have decriminalized uh, violations and crime but guys aren't getting locked up and they got and that do more serious crimes and they're getting let out no cash bail the whole system is going to rapidly transform new york into what it was back in the Koch days and and i wasn't you know i didn't know anything about i don't even know if i was uh, born yet during his days but you know thinkins, uh, thinkins uh, yeah, thinkins, or thinkins yeah right okay think, right so um yeah, I mean, that's, to me, that's where New York is headed right now. And uh, my, thankfully, my son's very young. He's not in the whole school process and whatnot. And, you know, growing up in this environment uh, where, you know, cr- crime is on the rise and whatnot. But I, I know for a fact for his future, for his safety, for my, for my family's safety, I, 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 I have to make the decision to, to leave New York. And I know it's the right decision and it's going to be a tough decision, but because of these policies and because of the way things are going, it, 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 to me, I want to get out now while I can do it in a more controlled environment and at my pace, whereas I have to rush to do it later because things have gotten so bad, but things are approaching that point, And a lot of people can see that already just, just in the spike in crime, for example, and me personally, growing up, like I said earlier, when you asked about the whole middle class uh, family and everything, I grew up in a good neighborhood. Um, not even a year ago, uh, uh, one of my parents' neighbors passed away and they ended up selling the house. Guy buys the house. He's not even there for three months, literally three houses away from my parents' home. Uh, you've, been, you've seen it. You've been there. Great neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, old, man, old man in the 60s bought the house with his wife. Uh, within two or three months that he's living there, he's literally outside mowing his lawn, car pulls up and robs him at gunpoint. So that didn't happen 20 years ago in neighborhoods like that. That didn't happen because, five years ago. Right. Five years ago. That didn't ago, happen five years ago yeah, when we were still right. policing, you know? Yeah. It, let me ask you, let me ask you, you're talking about yeah, leaving New York. You let me, you're talk, I'm, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions right now. You're talking, sure. about, you're, you're talking about leaving New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to leave New York. W- 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 were you thinking that five years ago that you were going to leave New York? <sighs> No, and mainly because I, ha- I still have a lot of family here. Um, but these, like I said, these conditions are, I-, I could see it because I was a cop. You know, I saw those two perspectives that we were talking about earlier. I see how bad it's getting. It's not worth risking my immediate family now that I have responsibilities for, my wife and my son, staying here 
because I know it's going to get that bad at some point. Now, it's not like it's uh, Escape from L.A. I'm not saying it's, you know, all mayhem, but we're not seeing these issues get addressed. It's only going in one direction, the wrong it's go- direction. It's going straight down. And, right. It's going so, straight down under the guise that you policing quality of life issues is racist. That you, that the police department as a whole, a, a, a majority minority police department, which I don't even understand how <laughs> you, we could still use the word minority when you're a majority in New York City. Right. You know, if anything, Italian guys like me and you, Roman right. Catholics, are a minority currently, not only in the police department, but in New York City. Um, so I'm waiting for Bill de Blasio to change his name now to something else because he, he, he changed it one time to try to fit in with us and pretend like he was an Italian guy, an immigrant, you yeah. know, which he was never. I mean, I don't know any Italian guys that are that ugly and doofy. But, uh, what he identifies with at the time. So, yeah, you know, but yeah, he wanted to fit in with the more ethnic community back in then when we were 90s. Right. But they right. go away from community policing and they go away from I'm sorry, not I don't want to say community policing. they go from uh, uh broken windows policing they go away from that under that guise now i'm going to ask you a bunch of questions sure you policed uh a mainly italian neighborhood later on in your career as you became an active cop right what was the what was the majority makeup of the people that you arrested and gave summonses to white people white people I, it, it's the community that you're dealing with you know if you're going to be in an, a primarily asian community Hey, I hate to, you know, ruin the secret to some people out there that think otherwise, but the odds are you're probably going to arrest an Asian person at some point in your career if you're dealing, if you're working in a primarily Asian neighborhood, just the same as a white neighborhood, just the same as a black neighborhood, whoever commits the crimes are going to be the subject of arrest. It's not going to be, hey, that person's a specific color, let's target them. I could tell you firsthand that I've never in any day that I've shown up to work have been told that I have to arrest a specific number or target on a specific number of, of a specific uh, demograph at any point in my career, okay? We were told, especially in the conditions unit later in my career, where the problem was. We don't know who the problem was. Yeah, you have your recidivists and uh, – um, ironically, our recidivists, uh, the vast majority of them, uh, I think 99 out of 100 were white. So white males. Um, and nobody talks about that. They want to talk about our, you know, how we're how racist we are. Now, 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 I can't speak for everybody. You know, there may be some racist cops out there that are but they're the minority, yeah, the, no, the absolutely. true minority. And the, the, yes, the, those pieces of garbage make us all look bad. But the, 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 the likelihood of you running into a cop like that, you have a statistically higher chance of getting struck by a bolt of lightning than running into someone like that. Unless you ran into Eric Adams when he Unless was you ran into right. You know, and I do. And I, I actually have ran into a few racist cops. They just yeah. happen not to be white. They all happen to be black. And like, it's an honest statement. Like, you know what I mean? I've never, 
you know, I, I've never like experienced uh like like you know being an Italian kid and even going into the police department. Yeah, it's funny. Like, oh yeah, I remember when you when you Guineas didn't uh weren't on the job and it was all Irish. Like the Irish guys like joking around, right? right. And it was always and then the Spanish guys would mess around and we were always joking around and even a lot of the black guys. But a lot of the stuff that came out about white supremacy and all of this like real division stemmed from. A lot of uh, some black cops that I knew that that I was like, wow, this guy really doesn't like me because I have olive skin or I'm a white guy in his eyes. Yeah, I'm I have a step over him and which is crazy to me, which was always nuts to me because I'm like, I grew up in New York. I'm like, you grew up here like we treat everybody like they're your brother, right? Like wow. we, you, you came to my car games. Everybody's at my house. Everybody's at my it's house. Like, it's like yeah. family. It's like we're the United Nations. We're breaking each other's balls. We're breaking bread. <laughs> and, you know, I, and nobody, no, nobody cares what your skin color is, what your religion is, who, who you sleep with at night. You know, yeah, we'll break your balls and joke around about it. But that's about it. You know, it's so, not done with malice. That's the difference. You know, yeah. we break each other's chops and we have a good time and, and that's it. You know, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I didn't want to. I, I wanted to add something to this whole white. Yeah, yeah, go, go, go. I felt like it was important. Uh, aside from police work, um, my parents, like I said, off the boat at times. You know what I did growing up when in the family at the dinner table uh, during dinner with the family, me, my brother and sisters, we watched pop culture shows growing up. And live in my color. favorite show, you know, th- that was a show that we, believe it or not, watched a little bit of, but we were big fans. All of us. We loved watching Family Matters, Fresh yep. Prince of Bel-Air. I mean, you want to talk about uh, if if white people or specifically a white cop is supposed to be racist. I can't speak for everybody, so I'm not going to sit here. But growing up, I didn't look at people because of their color. I wasn't raised that way. My father, my mother never said to look at someone and say, oh, they're bad or they're good. No, my father always said, treat people with respect, no matter what. And if my father ever found out, and he'll tell you to this day, that I ever disrespected someone without any reason, which is, you know, is the big problem, he would kick my ass. Not, I wouldn't have to worry about the cops. I wouldn't have to worry about the law. I'd have to worry about my father when I came home. If I started a fight or disrespected anybody or got out of line in that way, that's what my father taught me. And I know a lot of parents, a lot of families where kids grew up with their parents, whether it's a single parent or two parents. Kids that had parents, whether they were single or, or, or both parents, that looked out for them, that guided them, that did the right thing, taught the kids the, the right way. Whether It doesn't matter what their skin color was, whether white, orange, yellow, blue, purple, green, didn't matter. Okay, yep. Those kids knew that they had to respect people. And that's what we always, guys like you and me, will learn to do. And I, I, don't, I don't have a racist bone in my body. I don't even know, uh, you know how people could even come to that conclusion about me specifically, for example, but you know what, you know, like you said, we, we get together, we have fun with each other. We, we, we bust each other's chops and, and we do it out of love. And, and we show each other at the end of the day that, you know, that, that we're, we're like a family. And that's, like I said, I grew up around that way. Every time I'm with friends, I, they're like my family. I have a huge family. That's the way I look at it. Absolutely. And I get along better because of it, because Absolutely. I feel like I'm loyal to these people. They're loyal to me. And I know that if I ever, if I'm ever in a jam, those are the people I can call regardless yeah. of how much we bust each other's chops. But if I ever need help, I know those are the people I can call and I'm grateful for that. And that's why I don't believe in any of this 
racial, you know, divide that is literally an agenda for a specific political group. And they do that literally just for votes. And I think it's sickening. And I think it's destroying not only New York City, but it's destroying the country. And no, hopefully is. we can move away from that. It is. And it's a complete lie. And we're going to debunk it on yeah. on we're going to go all on these quality of life issues and why we got away from them. But the last point I want to make on racism, and you, you, you made a great point, is you're accusing guys of being racist that idolize Lawrence Taylor, idolize John Starks. Idolize Patrick Ewing, idolize Charles Oakley, Barry Sanders, Deion Sanders, Michael Jordan. I I actually hated Michael Jordan, Mike Tyson, Mike Brooklyn's own baby, you know, Uh fucking Mike Tyson, Anthony Mason, Charles Oakley, you know, uh, Scottie Pippen, all these dudes. And I'm like, I'm great. I I was emulating these guys as a as a child. I was emulating them. I, I was like, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not seven feet tall. I'm fucking five nine. But like, how, how many jerseys and starter jackets do you have from Chicago Bulls and all these jersey numbers? Well, I never That's had a Bulls. I never had a Bulls one. Listen, I, I love Michael Jordan. <laughs> I love him now after he retired. And like, yeah. even like, but I didn't, I hated him when I was a kid. I was a diehard Knicks fan. <laughs> diehard Knicks fan. I don't yeah. think they had a white guy on the team. They had one guy, and I, I can't remember his name. Yeah. They had one white guy on the team. I, and I hated him. I was like, get this fucking guy out of the game. Like, you know? <laughs> Seriously, you know? And, and like, you know, so like, that's a great point that you brought up. Yeah. But I want to ask you now. So we do quality of life issues, right? Right, right. Right? You would lock up kids smoking marijuana. You would lock up kids that would deal in pills, taking pills, which was a huge epidemic. That was largely ignored, caused by the pharmaceutical injury uh, industry, pushed by doctors, complicit doctors who were giving these kids pain pills hundreds at a time for fucking bullshit. They didn't even have x-rays that their back hurt. My back hurts every day. I would never take one of these fucking Oxycons. But that's what we were dealing with there. We were dealing with burglaries stemming from all of this drug use and, and cleaning up the quality of life issues, right? Right. Out of the people you arrested, right? Because mm-hmm. there's this big myth that these kids that got locked up, they went to jail for years for smoking marijuana. How right. many people actually received jail time from all the people? You've, I know you've been involved in hundreds of arrests. I've been out there with you on so many. Mm-hmm. Like, what? How many of them went to jail that you know of? Well, again, process is heavily flawed. So um, there's times where you and I, together we've gone out whether it was your collar or my collar or guys that we worked with we ended up seeing that guy the next day doing the same thing so same obviously day. he didn't either that day or the day after so obviously he didn't go to jail and if he did then someone gave him the key and he got out so and, yeah no. nobody goes to jail for things like that you know what i mean even then even when, then when people were prosecuted when da's right. actually prosecuted crimes right. nobody was going to jail they spent a, they maybe they spent a weekend in central booking right. and that, well, if they did it on a friday night and it was late and the courts were closed yeah yeah and maybe they spent it. or they spent a night in jail right. and and that deterred so much shit i think that straightened out so many kids they were scared to get arrested. They didn't want to spend the weekend in jail. They didn't want to spend the night in jail. Now they're out in four hours. How many kids that you arrested with pills in that neighborhood are dead now? Quite a few. Quite Punks. A few. I know uh, I, I could name I could name ten kids off the top of my head, and I won't say their names out of disrespect to their family, but ten kids that reminded me of me 
just like me when I was a kid and pills got introduced instead of hanging out in the park and drinking a 40, they started taking these pills and they got addicted to that. They moved on to heroin. And when we start to pull back from policing this, they're no longer afraid. We open up the gates of hell for them and we say, oh, yeah, everything's good now. And now these kids are dead. They kill themselves. You know what I mean? As opposed to before we were trying, we were locking them up, trying to get them drug treatment and none of them were going to jail. Like nobody was going to jail. Even when you did burglaries, you weren't going to jail. Like you had to do so many before you burglaries and robberies. You had to be in double digits before you were really seeing jail time. You know, it's, it's true. And, and, uh, you know, to go even further with that, you know, they don't realize that these policies that they're implementing now, today, you know, you're not going to see the immediate change or the immediate result of these policies. You're going to see it within the next five years, and it's going to be significantly worse than what you and I had to deal with when we did put those kids, you know, uh, you know, when we did grab those kids for the day or lock them up for the day and, and, and DAs would prosecute. Now the DAs won't, they won't even lift a finger. And they're doing it under this false guise of racism, of discrimination. And the majority of people, like you said, we arrested were white. So, and they're not getting the help that they need because they're no longer going to be arrested. The only time the police are going to be called there now is when they have a body to deal with and they have to call the medical examiner to determine the cause of death. Yeah. That's the only time that we're going to be called there. And you're going to see a lot of people and probably a lot more now because maybe the opioid epidemic with the pharmaceutical companies might have calmed down. But now you have all these drugs coming across the border and now you have something a little bit more potent than what they were dealing with. Uh, now you have fentanyl to worry about. And that's going to filter its way through every major city, you know, on a much higher scale, the longer these problems aren't addressed. So, um, you know, like you said, with, with the whole the whole concept of, of not policing these, you know, quality of life issues, broken windows theory, it's only going to make things worse. And like I said, I got a kid to look out for. You know, I got a family to look out for. And they're my top priority. So that's, again, why I chose that I want to leave. And, you know, and I know that, you know, there's guys and you're one of them that made the right call and, and, and did that. And thank God bless you and your family that you made that choice. I, I hope to get there one day soon, brother. And believe you me, might not be on this podcast, but, you know, off air, you could be getting a lot of phone calls from me when I'm out there, you know, down there in the South and uh, looking uh, for houses and whatnot. So I mean, it really wasn't my choice. I had no choice. I had, I, I, well, couldn't, work, I couldn't work in the city. I was, right. I was dirty. I was too dirty. I could only, only Florida is good enough to take my tax money. And <laughs> I could, I could only eat in restaurants in Florida and my kids aren't dirty enough in, in Florida to sit down and go to school and play sports. And I could go to their school and watch them and plays and watch them learn and grow in New York. We can no longer do that, but that's a, that's a different, 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 different issue. Um, what we're talking about is like really like how we went away from that and what the effects of that are. And we, you know, the effects of that, like I said, when we pulled away from stop, question, and frisk, I said they have no idea. They'll never be able to quantify how many people we stopped from carrying guns, how many people, because you remember what happened. They were, these kids were petrified. Not, and when I say kids, half of them were probably older than us. Some of them were legit career burglars, uh, GLA guys, robbery guys, whatever they were. They were petrified. 
when they, they would know the headlights. We used to drive around with our brights on so they couldn't tell the makes of the car. Even though they were unmarked cars, we would keep our brights on so that you wouldn't be able to even tell the headlights because they knew the headlights and they would bounce. They would throw things. They would do whatever. And that was – and yes, it was, it was called – what it was called was what we did through policing minor crimes is we, we instilled an omnipresence in the city. And what omnipresence is is we – Put a fear of the police in anyone that was doing criminal activity, that the cops were everywhere and we were going to stop them. And now nobody gives a fuck when they see the cop car. They're not looking for those headlights. They know they're not getting stopped. And now you push guys like me off this job, guys that know how to actually police using minor crimes to stop and deter major crimes. You push us off the job. What are you going to do when it's time to turn the dial up? These fucking kids, 10 years on, hands-off policing, they don't even know how to do it. They don't even know the laws that I knew that I had to learn and be able to articulate and, and, and speak about in court and draw up with the district attorneys. They don't even know how to do that. So they're not going to even understand how to police minor crimes to deter the bigger crimes. And by the way, most of all this shit's legal now. Smoking marijuana is completely legal. You know, I, I don't have a problem with marijuana use. Go home, right. smoke marijuana. Go in. Yeah. If there's a bar, smoke marijuana. Right. I have a problem. Ten kids standing on a corner when some ladies walking her daughter or, or, or an old lady's walking by and there's ten kids smoking marijuana should not be acceptable, should not be acceptable in society. Right. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think the downfalls of of policing minor crimes were at that time like there was a lot of criticism and i i could make a lot of claims about it too like what do you think were some things that we did wrong when we did do broken windows theory like when we were policing like was there anything you would have fixed at that time uh i mean with policing in general um the main issue that people had gripes with was a quota system in a sense you know even though there was no official quota there, there was, was an quota. Of, there was an official quota well, Come on. well yeah yes there was an official quota but the official public stance is that there is no quotas that's what i meant that that's why i use the the quote symbol but yeah i know but what, what, right this, most this, gonna, this oh, is yeah, gonna be on audio you know. though so i gotta oh, right yeah. I, i'm so I'm just letting the, the, the people know I'm using my two fingers on uh, both my hands to say official quota. Um, yeah, th- there, there was a quota. And the fact that, told, that the fact that you were told not as, an, uh, as a conditions cop, but as a as just a regular beat cop that you're required to stop this many people or this, you know, in this particular area. And to do it. that's not how it works. Yeah. You stop people that, you know, as a cop. That looks suspicious because of the actions that they're doing when they see you and when they don't see you, you know, and if you're if you were a great at your job, especially if you got into the whole conditions and anti-crime scene, um, you knew who the the you knew you knew the actions, you knew what actions to look for. And you also knew who the recidivists were. So you knew right off the bat. That if there was a guy who was, you know, on the record of something, you know, whether he dealt drugs or, or was a buyer or just a, 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 a constant user, you knew what he was doing, what his demeanor would be when he got caught or when he saw you. And yep. as a result, people that you didn't know that you never arrested before acting in the same manner, you knew 
that those were the people doing something wrong. So that gave you that, you know, reasonable suspicion to investigate further. You know what I mean? So unfortunately, with the whole quota system, all cops did, and a lot of disgruntled cops, beat cops and whatnot, they just went and stopped random people. And it, it created a very bad relationship between us and the public as a result, because now you have people that didn't do anything that don't even if you were to actually pull up a picture of this person and you'd be like this guy looks like he's the cleanest cut person ever why would he why would he be stopped and for what reason and what was he doing like a lot of cops not only do people uh, destroy the trust in the community as a result of that but you also you know you're also painting the wrong image you know with your peers and you're also leaving yourself open to uh you know to be jammed up on the job so you know, it was a lot of stupidity, like a hundred percent and like, laziness like, too. Laziness was a big part of well, it. Well, I mean, you do definitely did have the lazy guys, but that yeah. quota system didn't correct those lazy guys. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It didn't. They just hid under it and good people got hurt under it. Some old lady who, I don't know, picked up her phone for one second at a red light, got a summons. She did two miles over the speed limit. She got a summons. Who are we helping by that? She didn't drive like a maniac. Who no. Who is getting help from these things? And two instances that I, I remember that I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Is we go to a 10-11. Mm-hmm. Fucking what 10-11 is, is a sound of a home alarm. We go to a home alarm. And I was doing patrol. I'm a young cop. I'm with some loser cop that I uh, we used to fight all the time. I'm not going to say his name. But if you're listening, <laughs> you know who you are. Um, so we uh, – <laughs> so I'm with some loser. We go we – go, I look, nothing's going on. There's an old guy in front of the house sweeping up. I'm like, hey, sir, how you doing? You know, you live here? He goes, yeah. I was like, you got an idea on you? He's like, yeah, yeah. I just did it just to make sure. You never know, you know. Guy yeah, get, shows me ID. It's the address of the house we're standing in front of. Have a good night. The, the guy I'm with is like, no, 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 no. Let me get your name. I got to write it down. I'm like, what, what are you writing his name down for? He's an 80-year-old man who lives here. This is a 90 yellow. This is unnecessary. He's right. like, no, it's a 250. I got to get my 250s. A 250s is a stop question first report that right. the police department for a while was asking for 20, 20 a month. They wanted you to stop 20, 20 a people a month when, you know, uh, uh, unfortunately, sometimes you had to, you had months, you had a month where you only had like 10 days on patrol because right. you were out on details, sometimes even less. Dependent mm-hmm. the month. It was in the summer months. You go into details, or you had a lot of arrest that month, and you just didn't have it, or you got it. You took off, and you're on vacation, or you got injured, and you only had five, six days on patrol that month for whatever that reasoning is. Oh no, you need twenty, and if you didn't have twenty, they were going to give you a problem. So you had that shit. That was one, and then another one. I remember I'm a young sergeant, and I get called to a one under. They said a man with a gravity knife. Right. Mm-hmm. fucking get this scene i'm like what's going on they're like oh this guy just walked off the train and he had a gravity knife in his pocket i saw the knife in his pocket i was like oh really i i look at the guy he has a yellow hard hat on he has his tool bag on him and he's coming from work i was like sir what, what do you do for a living he's like i'm in construction i use the knife i gotta cut sheetrock i'm I, i'm a i'm a carpenter i'm like dude take him out of handcuffs and the cops like afraid Right. Because I'm like a conditioned sergeant. He's like, I, you don't understand. I need an arrest. I'm going to get thrown off the team. I was like, listen, I understand. But this is not an arrest. This dude is coming from work. But that probably happened 150 times that month. Oh, somebody. And that was sure. all hate. So, yeah, 
those were the things that were fucked up. And again, that was poor leadership and politics and policies. It wasn't really the police department, you know? And like, I was always active, so I never came in with that 2250s, but I always had a lot of arrests. So I always got my balls broke about the 2250s, but I would, my answer was always like, well, all right, then you could throw me off the team. I don't care, you know, because I knew that they wouldn't, you know, I mean? of course. You know well, but it's... like that, but that's a rare situation, right? Like most cops are going to, are going to, they're younger. They're going to, they're going to fold to that. Well, now, I mean, cause they don't have the guidance of guys like you or me that, you know, worked that type of, you know, job and did that work, you know, line of work. You know, I, I never became a supervisor, but you know, I, I did help mentor people. I became the training officer at one point and, there was times where I had to, you know, talk to people about specific things like that with the whole two, you know, with the whole 250 incident. And you're right that there was guys that, that were lazy and there was also poor leadership as a result of these bad politics. I had a sergeant once tell me, and I won't mention his name out of respect, but uh, I had a one sergeant that once told me I had, mind you, four days on patrol for that month. And it was mainly because of details. And I took a two week vacation. And I only came in, and this wasn't 250s at the time. This is what before this is before I got into the whole condition. This was actually after I got into the conditions thing. I ended up having somewhere along the lines of 10 summonses or whatnot. And the response I got from him was I need to boost my activity. And so I said, excuse me? And he says, yeah, yeah, your activity doesn't look good. And I said, well, ha- have you actually looked at my, my, my previous activity? Like, do you know... Uh, you know, without being disrespectful, I said, you know, I, I was pretty much telling him, do, do you know which cop you're speaking to right now? Like, I'm not a guy that lays down and, and puts his feet up the whole month and comes in with nothing, you know, and, and doesn't do any work. You know, I'm an active cop. I just wasn't here. You can't be active if you're not present for duty. You know what I mean? And the response I got, you know, I mean, that's not specifically what was said, but I pretty much gave him the, uh, the, you know, the idea that I'm a, an active cop and response i got was you're only as good as your last summons or activity Absolutely. report your activity and that's what report. he told me and, and, that and that's true. what he told me and and, and and i'm surprised he actually said that but that's the truth so when i realized that, i said you know what that's not a cop's boss that's not a guy who understands what's going on a a, a guy like you met you know a guy like padula you know tetterich and, and you know, pascal guys like that wouldn't tell you that they knew that you were an active cop. They knew that you did the work. They knew that you were there. And guess what? You didn't get your balls busted by the guys like yeah, that. Yeah, they, they were leaders. And, and, and they, they were would, leaders. Yeah, they led and by they, example and, and they led with respect. You and they would mean? take a beating for you if you fucked up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they would take a beating for you. They would say, oh, you know, it's my fault, whatever, even if they didn't know about it. Like, yeah, and, and, and these other cops that you mentioned, you know, not only are they going to be, you know, not clueless on how things go, but they're going to be scared out of their mind because they're not going to know or have any of that guidance going forward. Like you said earlier. So they, you, God forbid they get jammed up. They're not going to be able to talk to a guy that, that knows the policies or knows how to deal with things like that. A lot of guys that are learning now are going to be future PBA delegates. Let that sink in guys that don't know a damn thing about the job I, are just going to be, are, are going to be getting a job as a PBA delegate now. So, dude, look at know, the, look at the bosses now. Look at the sergeants. Yeah, look at so, the lieutenants. Look at the captains. They're they're awful. They don't know anything. No, they, they don't, don't know anything. They they know how what the book says, and they're gonna tell you whatever. But like, you know, it's it's so watered down now. It's yeah. dangerous. It, 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 it really it's gonna hurt is. somebody bad. Yeah. And and who did they really like? You know, and uh, 
like, like, let's just get on the vax mandate. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to share your private medical status. You know, that, that was at one Fire time. Away. Um, so, all right. What's your vaccination status ends? If you don't mind. Um, uh, I, before I knew that I would more or less get answered this question and I have no problem sharing with you. Cause like I said, you're my boy. Like a no, but if you me. don't want to answer that's no, 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 no. I do want to answer it. And, but I'm saying I had, I had a talk with my wife about this too. Um, as I said, you know, I have a, a, a strong, healthy two-year-old boy. It'll be two at the end of yep. the end of this October coming up. Um, both me and my wife got vaccinated after he was born. We only got the two shots. We never did any boosters or any of the uh, new shit that they're coming out with. And uh, we did get vaccinated only because um, I wasn't in the position. A lot of guys that are on the job now were forced into, unfortunately, and, you know, and, and your situation. But I was in the position of I didn't know anything about this, this virus, you know. I was confused. Yeah, I was frightened, but not for me. I, I, I mean, I'm almost 40 years old. Not that I want to die or anything, but I lived a good portion of my life already. And now I have a son to worry about. So my life, it's not that it's over, but it's effectively over as in the, the selfish term. I don't have to, my aspirations to do better things in my life. Oh yeah, I have, a, I have those ideas, but now it's all about the baby and it's all about the son. You know what I mean? Oh, and, absolutely. I- and me and my wife, we made the decision to get vaccinated for his for his safety. Absolutely, and, and, and that's completely as, understandable. And as a result, um, since then, and I have no problem sharing this, um, my wife and I tried to have uh, more children. Um, and I, I never spoke to you about this, but um, since the vaccination, she's had two miscarriages. Oh my god! I'm um, sorry, dude. I, yeah. I didn't. I honestly didn't even want to bring that up, dude. No, I, I, no, I didn't no, even I know that. Share, I, I didn't share. even. I didn't even know that happened. I, I, you don't have to be apologizing because I want to share this. This is what I had no idea is, that happened. This is this is what um this is what talks like these uh are good. It's good to get things out there. Um, uh, it wasn't it wasn't far in her pregnancy, thank God, because that would have been an emotional uh toll, you know, to the likes of which you and I could never understand because. Contrary to popular belief, we're both men and we cannot be women. So we'll get to that at another time. But, um, you know, it still is emotionally dist- uh, uh, for, uh, uh, depressing for my wife, who, you know, and it was depressing for me because I had to see her emotional state during this tough time. So now I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, and I can't say it for a fact, but I can say for a fact that I'm not the only person or my wife and I aren't the only couple that have raised concerns about uh, the uh, ability to get pregnant, have a successful pregnancy as a result or after being vaccinated. There have been reports, whether they're confirmed or not, that people have been having difficulty maintaining pregnancies uh, after they've been vaccinated. So, you know, everybody's different. You know what I mean? People have different, you know, antibodies and, and, and different bodily uh reactions to different vaccines and whatnot no that's what makes us all unique no no person is the same the only thing we all share is that we all bleed red that's it you know what i mean we all bleed the same color and you know and we're all god's children that's that's the only thing in my opinion that is the same that binds us all but other than that your body makeup your physical makeup everything's different and as a result you know due to my you know decision to get back i hope you know we're gonna you know, obviously research it further, but we still want to have more children. Um, we're still trying. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that's my, my status as of right now. I will not, since knowing or since more has come out and uh, the fact that, you know, my suspicions, but like I said, it was treading carefully for my son's sake, but my suspicions of fake Fauci, the, you know, the fake doctor that started this whole thing, um, I will never take any drug or vaccine from the government. I won't even take the flu shot anymore. Okay. I will never take any vaccine from the government that comes out today going forward ever, you know, or even the flu vaccine. I won't even take, you know, like the vaccines that we've got as kids, like when our parents took us to the doctor, you know, growing up, it's different. You know what I mean? That stuff's been around for a while. It's been researched. It's been thoroughly researched. They have, they have, you know, graphs that you and I could, you know, look over and say, oh yeah, yeah this, uh, this happened, you know, this happened, this is the reaction I got, but those things have been researched. We know that they're safe for kids. You know what I mean? These are like the measles and all that stuff, you know, all that stuff we're used to, you know, growing up, we got it when we grew up, you know, we turned out to be just fine. But other than that, no doctor will ever stick my kid with a vaccination, especially COVID vaccination that comes out. And I will never, I mean, I would recommend people think twice about it. Um, I wouldn't tell people that I'm against vaccines because I'm not. If you feel you want a vaccine, that's your decision. But I'm not anti-vax. I'm just anti, you're not touching my family with a needle uh, person. You want to touch other people, they want to get it done, fine. But um, that's my my current yeah i'm sorry dude i i didn't mean to bring that up i i I like kind of hit a button that i didn't even know that i that i i we will go all right i'm i'm glad that i shared it with you because like i said no i was i'm happy you got it off your chest and you told me i'm i'm horrified that that happened and and but that's your perspective right right and and like that's your perspective and and my point in asking that question was i had the different perspective i'm like i already have this i have the antibodies why do i have to take it but my point in asking that question was do you feel that these COVID mandates, shutting down the restaurants, shutting down the schools, firing cops and firemen and EMS workers, do you feel that those were necessary? This is, And, you know, you took the vaccine early on. You had concerns. And that's fine. I know so many people. I mean, almost everybody I know is vaccinated, right? Like, I'm, I'm like one of the few that aren't. Like, you know what I mean? And and I and I don't I don't never judge anyone. You know, people have sick parents, people you just having your baby, right? Like right. you have all these other concerns. My parents are dead. My kids are older, right? Like my my wife is healthy. I don't have any of these other issues. So I wasn't concerned about it. I didn't feel the need. Well, and then I had the disease. So I was like, and doctors told me that after a recent infection, don't get a vaccine. And that was specifically towards the COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. And then they changed their mind when an elected official who couldn't hold a job in Dunkin' Donuts told them that that was that hundreds of years of medical history is irrelevant. And they changed their whole tune. Their integrity is super questionable at this point. But do you feel that today these mandates are necessary? And would you have a problem jumping back in a cop car with me? Absolutely. Positively, no. Um in fact, I think all these uh, mandates, uh, I mean, not to go back into the previous topic, but it's going to also affect, uh, you know, the, the whole current state of the cop community now that's out there. You know, you fired all these guys. And a lot of these guys were the hardworking, active, very knowledgeable 
guiding, you know, guiding cops that mentored a lot of these people and you're forcing them off the job by doing this because they refuse to do it. Um, I would have no problem getting in the car with someone who's not vaccinated. And just, you know, on the subject, um, I never got COVID until I was vaccinated. My wife and I got vaccinated the second time, both got the Pfizer shot uh, twice. And Christmas that year, my son caught it first. Thankfully, he didn't have any, uh, uh, any major problems, you know, a little bit of a fever and whatnot. Um, and, you know, a little sniffle, but me and my wife got sick pretty, uh, you know, we were, we were out of commission for about a day and a half, but n- never had an issue prior to that, which I found to be ironic. Like we never got vaccinated. Here we are, we get vaccinated. And literally about two months later, we both come down with COVID. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing how, um, how they paint this whole narrative of COVID and, and, and to be quite honest with you, and I, I got to see um, your, um, your speech on, uh, in that committee and the captain from the fire departments, that, that is just an example and the mindset of every hardworking cop that, uh, and same thing with the, with the fire department, they've literally given this city 15 plus years of their life going into burning buildings, going to shootouts, going to domestic violence incidents, going to dangerous, violent EDP jobs. These are the guys that you want there, that you want to quell the situation and to leave that situation where nobody, including the perpetrators or the EDPs, gets hurt. But now you're going to introduce a whole new wave of people where not only are they accustomed to the law is being decriminalized, but they're going to be afraid of their own shadow when policing. And, and, you know, not to go back again, but that's where what this whole, this whole vaccine mandate is going to literally destroy every community within New York City. Florida ain't having these problems. States where there are no vaccine mandates, they're not having these problems. And it's funny. Yeah, no, no staffing issues there. No, no staffing issues there either. And yep. it's funny because, you know, we have all this crime and violence in major cities like New York, like Chicago, like uh, California, and all these major crimes, you know, meanwhile, you know, and I'm not to get into a completely different subject, but overseas, uh, back when uh, Donald Trump was in office, there was 18 months where not one soldier, American soldier died in Afghanistan. So let that sink in. We have guys people, regardless of demographic, killing each other now in these major cities. And, and this is going on every day. And now you're on top of defunding police, taking away, uh, you know, uh, the units that effectively applied the broken windows theory of policing, not only are you taking that away, but you're taking in the last, you're taking away the last remaining element of good cops by forcing this vaccine mandate on their their hard workers, the leaders that are still on this job, that still either had faith in this job, or even if they're just staying and sticking out their job for the remainder of their career so they could retire with a nice pension. But those guys will effectively be out. And as a result, you're not going to see those problems now. I mean, we are seeing problems now, but you're not going to see the dangers of those problems for another few years. But it's going to get progressively and more rapidly worse in the most shocking way it's going to be a a a complete wake-up call for anybody who still lives in this city five years from now if it even takes that long 
And I hope it does because the longer it takes, the easier I can get out of here personally. I don't know how anybody else feels, but I think the vaccine mandates are not only are they unconstitutional, um, but they're just morally uh, just reprehensible. It's just, I, I don't even know the words. It's, it's disgusting. Morally, it's disgusting. And the way yeah. guys like you were treated and I can't even fathom what these guys are going through. You know, they have their own families that they have to worry about feeding. Now these guys that worked and bled and sweat for 20 plus years and that are getting forced off the job, they have, they're forced to find another full-time job because their pensions are no longer relevant because the city basically turned their back on them. It's one thing if they broke the law, but they didn't break the law. They just didn't agree with a policy that was implemented by politicians with an agenda that literally did what they did just for the sake of getting votes. And it's disgusting how they treated people as a result. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I used to say that the vaccine mandate is the largest defund the police movement ever. This is defund the police live and on stage. We've never seen so many cops leave the mass exodus of cops. But, you know, I did. I testified in city council the other day. I spoke of not only my what happened to me. I went very briefly, but overall as a city where we were, how people were treated, how segregation and discrimination took hold in a city that supposedly respects all a city for all a city for this right and how the abhorrent things segregated our children wouldn't let them play in sports and like brendan fogarty said who was the captain who went viral i could run into a burning building but i couldn't sit down and eat in a restaurant restaurant. and what hurts even more than that is either could his kids and i saw him he has four kids they're beautiful little kids and that's really what got me it really did. That's really when I was disgusted with the city. I was disgusted with this job. I was disgusted with everyone. And it really – and then I – and after I watched that, I was like, you know what? This wasn't defund the police. This was defund fucking integrity. This was defund people with integrity like that guy, like Sophie Medina and Bravest for Choice, like all of these people that are, are true leaders. Like, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I'm not – patting myself on the back in any way but like that's leadership like going against the green you know and and that stems from i believe my faith and my upbringing and the guys that came before me that i seen do it and you know i even saw brendan before his thing and and as he's talking he starts off he's nervous and he says the prayer he says the serenity prayer Right. And power comes over him with that. And and, you know, and that was always my thing was that, I, I, you know, I'm not afraid to take a vaccine at all. I'll fucking take the vaccine for the amount of money that I lost a month to take it. I would have took the, I would took three of them. I, but it was the principle of what I seen that I was like, this is disgusting. And I, and I always something always stuck with me. You live in this earth. You're not of this earth. Right. You live in this earth, but you're not of this earth. Don't forget it. So when you see things going a bad way, that doesn't mean that you go there just because it's easy for you and it's comfortable for you and you're going to fit in. And, oh, you're going to be I still get to hang out with the fancy people and I get to get chauffeured around and wear my short, my uh, medium white uh, lieutenant shirt and get everybody to salute me as I drive around like, oh, I'm going to lose all those things. But 
I'm not going to lose my integrity and I'm not going to lose my faith and I'm not going to lose all these things. So I do. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I really do. I think that, yeah, it, it stems from the defund the police movement, but they went even further. And now in the police department, I say, all right, you just force guys that didn't want to take a shot to take it, to keep money on the table. And I'm not knocking anybody for doing that because I'll tell you right now, it was the most stressful time of my life. It's still, I sleep with it. I wake up with it every day. My career was cut short. I should be a captain right now wearing another medium white shirt. <laughs> Fucking showing these captains out there how to really be a boss and how to be a leader and, and what police work is, you know, and, and, and pushing back at the, at the appointed. But, but I'm not, and, and, and that's fine. But, but my point is this. You're swaying people with money, right? You're swaying people with money. What is that? What does that tell someone that thinks something's wrong and they go ahead with money? I personally think you're going to look at a very systemically corrupt department in five years. I think you're going to see a lot of people take this job that are going to be corrupt. And the guys that you forced into it, they're done. They are done. They took that shot. They are no longer good employees. They know how you feel about them. They're not out there feeling all good about Lottie Dottie with the police department. They're not. They're not. And I, and it was horrible what they did. They did it to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. They're like, oh, only only twelve hundred city workers were fired. How many left? Oh, we don't know. How many took the shot that didn't want to take it? That- I, I would I would argue, if you know, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I would yeah. argue that I would argue that it's over a million. And I, I'm not talking about just within New York. I'm talking about nationwide. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's not just cops, firemen, and public servants, but nurses, about nurses, doctors. You know, I, I would argue I would argue that not only is it a defund the police method, but it's a population control method. Because now, how many good doctors, nurses, and 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 firefighters and police? How many of those people that are no longer working? How many people are going to die as a result of not being, God forbid, saved by that guy who's willing to go into the burning building and be segregated and told that he can't eat at a restaurant now you're going to have people the community is what's going to suffer as a result you know what i mean as a result of that mentality that poli- those policies and what you went through is absolutely disgusting and you know like i said i think it's it, it goes beyond just the nypd it's it's all a system of control and that's why everybody regardless of your political affiliation should be concerned because no entity in the world should have that kind of power to tell you what to do to just make ends meet for your family to go out there and work i think it's dangerous it sets bad precedent and you're literally paving the way for them to do and take it another step further what and the possibilities are endless you know, yeah. they already took away your right to work and provide for, me, for your family. Okay. What, what else is the, what is the, I mean, the sky's the limit as to what they can do yeah. if people let that stand. So, you know, I, 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 I didn't want to, like I said, I didn't want to cut you off, but I mean, I just, you know, I know a lot of people feel passionate about it and it's just, I, I, I can't even begin to fathom the mindset that, you know, some people have in agreeing with, these policies you know because those aren't the people that guys like you and me look for look to 
for guidance. You know what I mean? And when you have no, no when you no longer have those people to look to for guidance, you're just going to pave the way for worse things to happen. And society is in general is just going to deteriorate as a result. And it's just dangerous, dangerous area uh, that we're uh, starting to enter. You know, this is dangerous turf we're starting to get. Oh, yeah. And they just came out today. Response times are up huge for police department and fire. Wonder why. Maybe those job fairs aren't working out. I'm in DCAS. They're talking about that they're gonna that they're gonna they're gonna use the internet to start to recruit. I was like, oh, that would be great if this was 1994 and you still haven't learned the internet. You've been recruiting on the internet for 20 years now. Like this is your this is your plan to get people back to work when you have 50,000 employees that want their job back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not to harp on that all night, but yeah, deteriorate. So. The deterioration of society, deterioration of the thing, it's just another, another thing on top of going away from crime. It's just looming over everything that's causing the decay in the city, Every all the reasoning people want to leave. They don't want the heavy hand of government. New York turned into like a totalitarian state. And people – and it, it was never like that. It was never like that you know, un, until recently. So what do you think is the way forward? What do you think could be done? to change this um whatever you i i'm a genie and i make you the mayor or the governor like what what i don't know anything whatever you think could be done like what do you think could be done you know i i thought long and hard about this and one of the i mean and i have no problem saying this um i'm a republican or i would like to say i'm conservative um very often people from different political perspectives like to feel like they're right um that their way is the right way whether it's morally um uh, judicially or you know constitutionally you know they people believe that they're in the right that they're on the right side of history how many times have you heard that um i could tell you me personally i don't feel like we as americans are on the right side of history when my son being born instead of having family at the hospital, knocking on the window, like you've seen in the movies, saying, oh, look how cute he is through the window or whatnot. We couldn't even have that. I couldn't have my family. It was just me and my wife. It's like we went in an underground bunker and she gave birth. Uh, His first birthday, year later, you know, big celebration for people as, you know, a child's first birthday. I was allowed because of the mandates, because of the current COVID restrictions, I was allowed to have 10, 10 or 12 people sit at the table uh, in a restaurant, you know, for his first birthday. Um, I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat, you know. Now, the leaders, the, 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 the political leaders, they don't have to abide by those rules, but you did. Regardless of whether you have a D or R next to your name, um, you know, or next to your ideology, you had to abide by the same rules that I did, but they, they didn't. You know, they didn't lead by example. You know, they led by rules for thee and not for me. And that's where I, that's where we could start is holding our politicians accountable and making their views exposed. Whether they're the right or wrong views, they need to be put on record, or as we like to say, put on blast. Um, I think as Americans, um, the best way forward is to do something that we were all taught when we were kids, or at least you know, our loving parents taught us is to admit when you're wrong because nobody is 
ever always right. You know, there are times where you will be wrong, where there are times where your approach on in a specific aspect of life is wrong. You know, it's called humility. Okay. The part of becoming a better person, forget about American, forget about uh, your political careers or your, excuse me, your professional careers. Part of growing up is making mistakes. And how do you get better as an adult? How do you become a successful parent? You've made the mistakes that your parents corrected you when you made those mistakes. It's, it's a, a, a cycle, a natural cycle that we all experience growing up. If we did wrong, our parents punished us. You know, if we did something the wrong way, our parents would guide us to do it the right way. Um, you know, that's how Americans could come together is when you see that things are being done wrong, instead of casting them out, instead of insulting them and saying, no, you're a, you're a racist or you're a bigot or you're an idiot or you're an asshole, you know, or you're a piece of shit, you know, instead of doing that, and as, mu as much as it might annoy you or as much as uncomfortable as it makes you feel, remember, it's more uncomfortable for everyone to go through these hardships of a decaying community, decaying society, than it is to sit down and try to have a meaningful discussion with these people. People have to talk. This country was founded on debate. And even though political positions of people have become so in some situations violent, you know, towards each other, whether it's through, you know, words or through violent actions. The problem is people aren't willing to sit down and talk to people. And I think that is one of the biggest things that people need to do because guess what? Our conservative approach may not be the greatest approach. Okay. And I'm not going to sit here and get into specifics. There might be certain things that, you know, that are that sound ridiculous or maybe they're just not reasonable and vice versa on the other side you know it, the way it gets worked out the way people see common ground is to sit on common ground and talk about it and i don't think we have enough of that and and i blame not just the politicians but both republican democrat and both right and left wing uh media um they're responsible too you know, they're the ones who further create that rift with their opinion shows. Now, don't get me wrong. I've listened to opinion shows on both sides of the aisle. And yeah, they say some interesting things, but you're not going to help bring that bring Americans closer when you criticize the other side repeatedly instead of trying to reach out and talk to people, because that's how we all grew up. We embrace the love and respect out of our out of out of our parents, out of role models that we looked up to, friends that you know inspired us to take the uh, the professional careers that we took, and people that we ran into that you know you walk down the street and be like, wow, I I wish I'd, I'd like to be that like that guy someday, and you had a friend that was or a family member that was in that profession to guide you and say, you know, you can do that one day. This is what you have to do. You have to start here. You have to do this. You have to do that. Teachers prior to what we have to deal with now teachers were good role models back in the day you know what i mean they people taught you know uh that you know going forward that you had to you know you had to dream big but you also had to work hard and in terms of coming together in terms of fixing the problems now people have to come together and and i know it sounds a little you know uh i don't know maybe people uh 
could say, oh, it's, uh, you know, uh, sounds a little feminine. It, it's not, it's, 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 it's common sense. You know, no human being could survive on their own. You need that camaraderie with someone else. You know, you need to be, you know, being alone is, is not the way forward. And that's unfortunately, that's how, uh, you know, I'm sure that this could be discussed at, a, at, at some point, you know, either on or off air, but, you know, a lot of cops lost their lives because they decided to take their own life when they felt like they were trapped in a corner, you know, and it's all across the nation. It's not just NYPD, although we seem to be, you know, that number seems to be climbing more often, which is alarming and, and unfortunate, but it's because people feel alone, you know, and no matter how politically uh, involved you might be or, you know, passionate you might be, you'll only end up alone if you don't reach out to other people, if you don't share your feelings, and if you don't come together in a in a civilized manner to discuss where we can agree and where we could, you know, move forward from. So Yeah, but currently the problem in New York is, you know, and I don't give a shit. I don't even know what I am because I, I don't know. I, I go after everybody. I don't care. I go after the Democrats. <laughs> I go, the Staten Island GOP is not a big fan of me. No, um, I don't but, blame but, you know, because, you know, I call out their bullshit. So I don't know what I am. I don't know if I'm a Republican. I don't know if I'm conservative. You're an, you're an independent. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I am. I've been I've been registered to every political party there is. But, like, currently in New York, it's one-party rule. It is. And there's no, there's no need for discussion. They don't have to talk to you. They don't care. You see how what Eric Adams does yeah. is someone asks him a question, he walks away. They ask him a serious question. Uh, you know, that's because we're in New York. Doesn't even give an answer. You know, it's it's so like me personally, I think the only way forward is, yes, people got to come together, but people got to come out together in a vote and say, hey, listen, you know, this this is not working. What's going on right now? You know, uh, these these wackos that passed all this anti-police pro criminal legislation, these people that instituted these mandates that don't work, that are now three years in and complete complete utter failures they don't even have a logical reason why they ever did it now there is no reason and they just don't even talk about they just do it it's one party rule so at this point i'm saying like yeah you gotta be political yes you gotta come together but you gotta have those conversations you know when we were kids we always heard don't talk politics sports or religion with your friends i think that was a mistake and i always used to say well then if i can't talk those things with your friends my friends you're not my fucking friend. Well, who if are I you going to talk to about it? You know, you're I mean? not my fucking friend then. Because can't I, talk to a stranger about it. You know, I can't <laughs> talk to you about what I believe, like what my yeah. religion is. I can't talk to you about what sports team you like or I don't like. I'm like that was never me and my friends. That was never us. We're arguing. We argue to argue. I'll argue a point that I agree with you on just to fucking argue with you. You know, and I'm like that's, <laughs> that's you know, I'm like way. yeah, and I'm like that's you know, I'm like that's such a lie so like i think that's you know that really is the way forward is that is coming together by being able to sit down like two human beings and have a discussion but right now the discussion is this listen this isn't working we got to get rid of one party rule we got to fucking get we got to outweigh the balance we got to restore what this nation is it's founded on both of us because yeah like you said we both have things to offer right i might be more conservative minded Somebody might be more liberal minded. I have a daughter with special needs. Right. Maybe I'm too harsh to come up with the policies that need to have to help her. 
where, where the left mindset instituted a lot of policies that do help people with special needs and stuff like that. So we all need each other. And like you said, that's how I learned from, I learned from being wrong. Right. And so, but right now I'm saying, let's get rid of this one party rule. Let's start talking politics in our household. Let's start talking religion in our household. Let's start talking and get back to that. And that's bringing us together. Hey, listen, I know John, John's not a bad guy. He goes for walks with his family. Who cares if he likes Trump or if he likes this one or if he likes that one? But right now, we got to restore what America was founded on. We got to restore what New York was. Or else, you know, you're going to get another guy, another lifelong New Yorker like yourself. Your whole family's there and you're going to pack up and leave too. And it's a fucking damn shame. You know, it really is because it's the, it's, it really yeah. is. It's the best of the best they're getting rid of. And it's wrong. It's, 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 I'll take it further than that. It's, it's terrifying. You know, I mean, I've, I've spoken with you and, and you were very pleased. I mean, you're not happy that you had to leave the job, but you're happy where it's taking you as far as, you know, where you live now with, with, with your family and how different Florida is from New York. So I'm happy for you and your family um, that you guys are, 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 you know, less stressed out than you were when this was all going down that you're still going through it, but you, you guys landed on your feet down there in Florida and, and I'm happy for you, but you know, take it from a guy like me, like, and I, I know you have family and friends out here too. It, it, it hurts, you know, that you, you had to leave, you know, Florida is wonderful. It really is. But New York is what you knew, you know, all your yep. friends are still out here. You know, you might have some family that's still out here. I mean, I don't have any, I mean, I can't say that. my, my wife has her mother's twin sister that lives down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, for example. But that's it. That's the only family I know in Florida. I don't have any cousins down there. I don't have any friends aside from you and a couple other people down there. You know, I I get it somewhere. People have to start, but it's a terrifying feeling, you know, having to leave what you know to start a life where you don't know anything. And yeah, and kudos to guys like you that took that step and, 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 and took that journey to do that. But, you know, people need to understand that, you know, it's happening not because people want to move to Florida because it's a better state, but people are feeling forced that they have to improve their own quality of life to do such a thing. And granted, they don't. The, the best thing about that terrifying decision is that though that decision to make that, you know, the, the decision to make that call is less regrettable because they know they're living a better life. Um, uh, I agree 100. percent The whole one party rule is 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 absolutely insane. Now, I did say I was a conservative. I did say we do have to come together. But whether, regardless of what your party affiliation is, you don't have to be a Democrat and you don't have to be a Republican to know. And excuse me, politicians aside, people, voters, regular Americans, not people in office, people who are listening right now that are watching or listening. Whether you have more uh, political affiliations to the left or the right, you don't have to be either of the two to realize that New York is going in the wrong direction. A lot of places like New York are going in the wrong direction and fast, so fast that none of us, regardless of what we believe in politically, are going to recognize this place five years from now. It's hardly recognizable now. And it's only going to get worse. And that's where, you know, I think coming together will make people realize that, no, New York is not 
the city so nice they name it twice you know it's no longer the tourist haven of the world in my opinion because people not. will not it, it people will not come to new york to come visit knowing that the crime rate is through the roof that the that vaccine mandates prevent people from doing things that you know they wanted to do whether they're coming from another country to come tour you know the united states or whether they're just people that lived in the united states for years and be like you know what i've never been to new york let me go out there i have friends that live in texas that want to come out here and you know one of them has never been to new york and he's like you know i want to come out there one year probably during christmas and i highly uh discourage them from that after telling them how you know how busy it was and how cold it gets but uh you know other than that you know there's not really much of a drive or uh i could say something that's drawing people to new york that's why you're seeing a mass exodus of people that's why places like florida and texas are receiving people and places like california new york and chicago are seeing an exodus of people because people are starting to realize and i really hope that the remaining people in new york outweigh the people that seem blinded by the current policies that are in place now i really hope that you know because things have gotten so bad now and they're not going to improve i really hope that come next election cycle people see that you know that there's a rude awakening and that something needs to happen because um the one party rule is not working um yeah, absolutely taking us in the wrong direction and unfortunately a lot of people are going to pay for it with their lives um and that's the most terrible thing to think about but unfortunately that's what's going to happen and a lot of families are going to be destroyed as a result and you know it's a shame it's i think it's just a shame that things have to get that drastic for changes to take place but oh yeah absolutely like and that's why i want to leave because i don't want it to be me <laughs> well listen before you leave make sure no, 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 yeah, yeah. listen get all your family your friends you know me I, i'm i'm not a shy guy i'm working with an organization now we're trying yeah. to get the right candidates endorsed but our our membership is voting on who we're going to endorse those endorsements are going to come out soon that vote's going to happen soon that's the national coalition of frontline workers they're going to endorse what their membership chooses everyone gets one vote whether it's the board or not but me personally me personally john mccary's telling you vote lee zeldin vote joe pinion vote a uh vote uh michael henry for attorney general vote common sense people in and and there's plenty of common sense democrats across new york too you see that with bob holden you've seen it with Morn moran you've seen it with brian robinson when they were running for district 10 congress we gotta take back we gotta get common sense people back in what what holchel did what adams is doing these things are never forgivable i don't care if adams does a 360 today this stuff can never be forgiven He's got to get out the next election. You guys got to get out there. You got to vote. You got to end the one party rule. And so I'm going to ask you two questions and then I'm going to open up the floor to you. I'm going to let you have the last word. Yeah. I I let all my guests have the last word, but I got two questions for you. Would you take the job again and become a police officer at the time you did? Yes. For one reason, I got to meet a lot of great people along the way guys that i looked up to you're one of them too believe it or not um guys that um shared in both my success and my pain 
you know, I got to meet a lot of wonderful people on the job. I got, got to meet a few assholes along the way, but you know, that's any job, right? Yeah. But you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, that is the only reason why I would have taken the job again, knowing, seeing into the future, so to speak. Now, um, you know, everything I did as a result of taking the job got me to where I am today. My my loving wife, you know, I'm you know everything that happened happened as a result. So I don't have any regrets in that aspect. But as far as the, what the job has turned into, no, I wouldn't. I probably if I didn't have the camaraderie, you know, the, the, the friendships that I developed over the years and the life that I have now, you know, uh, you'd, you'd have to be certifiably insane to take this job, you know, and, and I'm sorry to say it that way, but you know, it's true. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of, if you were to take a vote tally, and I mean a legitimate vote of every cop in the nation. Okay. I guarantee you the ones in states ran by current one-party leadership like Democrats, for example, the hard left stance on defunding the police and uh, uh, demonizing our heroes and, 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 and canonizing our criminals for sainthood, those cities are failing miserably. And I guarantee you every cop or she can't say every cop, but I guarantee you the vast majority of frontline workers in general will all agree that they're not happy with what they're doing as a result. And uh, that's my personal, obviously that's my personal opinion, but I have a funny feeling that my personal opinion would be a fact if that kind of a survey was actually conducted, then it would actually be a you know, uh, a statistical fact if that kind of poll was taken. But, you know, fortunately, due to politics, they won't dare take a poll like that because they know that the more polls they take on their policies, the more exposed their policies are. And people are afraid to lose the power that they have, unfortunately. So. No, I agree. Well, you answered both my questions. My one question, and I'll tell you, every retired cop that I interview, this is what I asked them. Would you take this job? <laughs> Would you take this job again at the time you did it? And unequivocally, everyone to date has answered yes. My next question is, would you take this job now being a young man? And unequivocally, every single one of them has said no. And now and that's not just on this podcast, you know, that's everybody I speak to. You know, I'm friends. I'm still friends with hundreds of cops in New York City, uh, guys that are retired, you know, guys that across the country and yeah, but you're right i'm down in florida i go to national night out um i wear an nypd t-shirt uh just to represent because i still love the job i still love the nypd you see all the stuff behind me i don't care that a bunch of cowards came in here and ruined it when we policed we were the best police force in the world and at the time we did it, we were the best cops we were the least corrupt we were the we actually handled the community we, I'm proud of the work that we did in that organization. Oh, yeah. I always felt blessed to put that uniform on, and I still feel a blessing. Even though I didn't go out the way I wanted to go out, I still wear that as a badge of honor. So I wear my NYPD shirt. I go to National Night Out. Tons of cops come over to me. St. John's County, Jacksonville Beach, Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, all from the NYPD. Oh, bro, I had to, all young guys. I had to get out of the job. I couldn't do it. I'm so much happier down here. I love it. Sign up. 
do it. All these old guys are coming over to me, giving me their business cards. Sign up, sign up. Come on, we'll get you in right now. You look like a young guy. How are you retired? You know, I like all the shit, you know, and, uh, and you know, I like I said, I, I just think I'm um I, I I just went too far in my career to go backwards. You know, I, I don't think I would be a good but I don't think I would be a, a good cop anymore per se. Like I don't yeah. think I'd be able to take direction as well. Yeah. Um just being a supervisor for over a decade and, and all that stuff and just knowing what I know. So I just decided not to, totally different geographical area. Yeah. Um. So, but I think yeah, I think you're dead on. I think you're 100 percent on. You know, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate everything you're opening up. You know, you being honest. You know, and and one thing I'll say for everybody, you know, Enzo's a great guy. He's a great cop. You know, definitely a guy give you the shirt off his back. Uh, he's a good guy. He's a terrible poker player. Terrible. Not not. <laughs> but he's a great guy. He's one of my great friends. And ends I like like I do for all my guests, and I'm gonna do it for you. And I hope you come back on, and and we talk about other things as they arise. And hopefully, we're singing a different tune about New York City going forward and after these elections, um, because it, it's it's depressing. It really is. It's fucking depressing to watch. It's depressing when I come home and I see what the fuck is going on. Uh, but I'm gonna open the floor to you. Whatever the hell you want to talk about, whatever you want to say, your message to the world, your message to your kids, uh, whatever you want, your wife, whatever. It's all you, Enzo Lombardo. Uh, well, for starters, before we get into that, I just want to say that if anybody is curious to uh, see if John's claim is validated about being a terrible poker player, I do have a, a photograph of me holding his money the first time ever that I went to his house. So I still got that. So <laughs> all that aside. Uh, That's true. Uh, it's true. It's true. Well, <laughs> all that aside, um, uh, again, I said this, uh, I'm grateful for everybody I've met. Uh, throughout my life, not just on the job, uh, but personally, um, I'm grateful that I was able to have, and God, you know, uh, knock on wood, she's still with me. Uh, my grandmother, who was there present when I graduated the academy, uh, the mother of my um, my uh, late aunt who passed away, um, that was also on the job previously. Um, she was at the academy, uh, at the uh, excuse me, at the at the garden when I graduated. Um, I went out to eat at the time this is like i said 15 16 plus years ago um you know i got went out to eat uh and i had friends that were on the job that uh that were sergeants and above that you know that i that i knew growing up you know, around my father that were there to you know congratulate me in person and celebrate with me um got to meet a great amount of people guys you and i both know along the years very grateful for that experience uh would do it all again in a heartbeat um, as you know, just because of that alone. Um, uh, and, uh, I, I guess I just want to give a shout out to really though, all those people who were so instrumental in my life, uh, um, closest people being, you know, my wife, Elizabeth, uh, my son, who's my inspiration, Vincenzo, um, my parents, uh, Giuseppe and Rita, my brother, Stefano, my sister, Angela, um, and, uh, I don't know if you, if I told you this, but, uh, my late great, uh, um, he's not my great, my uncle, um, my mother's brother, uh, for Fernando Barati, uh, he was a Monsignor and, uh, pastor of Blessed Sacrament Church, he died last January, I believe. Um, he was the guy that, uh, married me, uh, me and my wife, um, almost five years ago. Um, he passed away, um, 
uh, one morning, I uh, never woke up. Uh, they never really determined the cause of death. We weren't really interested in the autopsy. But, uh, you know, I, I want to dedicate this uh, session to him, basically, too, um, along with everybody I listed previously. I'm just happy to give them all a shout out. But he was uh, very instrumental in my life. He was like another father to me. Um, it's like a father to all his nieces and nephews. But, uh, you know, and ironically, he was the father in the uh, Catholic Church, but uh, Monsignor. But um, he was such a, a great inspiration. I th you got to meet him, too, at the party. Um, he was just an awesome guy and uh, overall. And, yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy to, uh, you know, just give a shout out to them and, and to just to be, I'm grateful that I had all these people in my life. And, you know, I, if I could do anything different today, I probably wouldn't because uh, I'm content with where I am. Um, the only thing I'm going to have to do is obviously make some decisions moving forward to, you know, where it takes my family. And I just, I'm just happy to know that I have guys like you, John, uh, that are going to be instrumental in that move because I do have, you know, um, plans on checking Florida out and it seems more likely that that's going to be the, the, the end destination of my journey as far as uh, house hunting is concerned. Um, but guys, you know, everybody who's listening, guys and girls, uh, uh, people of all affiliations and demographs and whatnot, um, John is a good guy. Uh, he might come off hard, but he tells you like it is. He doesn't have any filter and, and it's in the good way. Um, uh, I want to thank him personally for having me on and to be honest with you if if you're looking for someone to really be as straight up with you as possible john mccary is probably the best candidate to do that and you know in terms of just being there and listening to what you have to say and you know he's arguably the most straight up person i've ever met and and i'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass john but you you can't go wrong having a conversation with this guy it, it just about anything He'll tell you how it is. And, and he won't, you won't regret talking to this guy either because you'll learn so much just by other, you know, and then just in general with other people, you'll learn so much by just gaining perspective on everybody. And, and John's the type of guy that has that multiple perspective, you know, built into his, you know, his character. And, and it was a pleasure being on with him today. And, you know, if anybody else is apprehensive about doing podcasts and stuff like that, uh, this is my first podcast doing with, you know, being on a podcast. And I got to say, I had a blast. Um, there were some things that, you know, obviously I was a little left, you know, uh, uncomfortable. I, I say uncomfortable. It just, you know, it, it, it was a little personal for me to, to mention, but I'm glad that I did because I don't trust anybody more than I trust this guy, especially with, you know, something like that. And I have no problem with the whole world knowing about it, you know, when he uh, releases, you know, this episode, but it was a, it was really, it really was an honor and a privilege to be on your podcast, John. I'm glad you had me on and I would 100% do it again. Hopefully it'll be in person when we're both having a beer in Florida, you know? So um, 100%, 100%. Give, my, give my regards to the family and uh, thanks again for having me on. And I appreciate uh, the time we had and the moments uh, that we uh, expressed with each other. So thanks uh, again and God bless I, and God bless your audience. I appreciate that, brother. Yeah, yeah. You didn't, you didn't have to say any of that. I appreciate that. And, you know, it's, uh, 
like I said, dude, this is my therapy session. And even like all the, all the conversations we've had, right? Like we've had these conversations in the car, all of us, right? Like we've had these conversations after bad incidents, after terrible things in, in our lives, after happy times in our lives. Yeah. And like you said, we need to get back to talking, you know, and this is what I'm um, trying to bring like some type of rational voice and some just show that we're normal people, bro. We're not, we're not these fucking uh, racist, uh, whatever they want to call us. We're all normal people. We all got big hearts just like you. We all got families that we care about. We love our city. We love our communities. You know, we love – I love the guy. I, I used to – I all the crazy people used to yell at me and call me a Nazi. I love that guy. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? I, I, I do. I don't want nothing bad to happen to him. I'm like, all right, you know? I, I did want to mention one more person. Uh, well, in, addition, in, in addition to my brother, Stefano, who – uh, who woke up at the weird, weird early hours of the of the day to drive me to either left rack or to uh, you know out to the academy because my car broke down. My brother, he was always there for me, you know, among all the other people. But I also want to thank someone very uh, instrumental in me becoming a cop. In in addition to all the people who inspired me, and that's my cousin Charlie. Um, and Charlie, if you happen to watch this uh, at some point, uh, I want to say thank you for driving me to left rack on short notice at four in the morning to go get drug tested to become part of this job. Uh, and, you know, he was, uh, I didn't have anybody and, you know, my, uh, he happened to be around and, and uh, told me, he said, listen, I'll, I'll give you the ride. It's not a big deal. And it, Charlie was the one who drove me out there that first time when they, you know, the first drug uh, um, screening that we had to do before we uh, got on the job. Yep. So thanks, Charlie. I didn't want to forget you. Uh, but uh, again, thank everybody, John. Thank you. And, uh, you know, can't wait to do it again, man. I really had a good time. Thanks. No, awesome. Yeah, it's awesome, bro. All right. We're going to end on that. Enzo, we, we'll see you again, my friend. Arrivederci.